0: Hi, everyone. I have to tell you it felt like um, a lot of moving parts tonight seems like life's a little bit like that being back from from covid i'm going to drop it here, but good to be with you tonight and I love the part um, this the life of our church when we get to welcome in a family and welcome in new members and like Maggie referred to we welcomed in um, a new member of our family, the Manning family. And actually, last Sunday night, there's baby Peter. Last Sunday night, Jenny was sitting in the pew here having contractions. Went home, and at about 1.15 the next morning, here comes baby Peter. And here's the family, Sarah, if you want to show. This is, we had the kids for a couple days, and there's Soren and Nelly, baby Peter. But I want to look at little Nellie for a minute, because I got to tell you, that, um, wow, it is so fun to welcome people in, but sometimes the turning of a chapter, you're closing another chapter. And this little baby Nellie, if you go to just the picture of Nellie, um, she's been on my heart all week. Because guess what? She's not the baby anymore. Her world has been tipped upside down. And I'm guessing that even though she doesn't have the cognitive ability to identify that and name that, that she's. She knows that something's different and she's not quite sure how to navigate it. She can't quite find her way. And I think things have been just turned upside down a bit for her. And it reminded me that when we are welcoming wonderful things, the ordinary, the extraordinary, the hard things, whatever it is, the change, the transition, that there's also a goodbye in there. And those goodbyes... Sometimes are hard. I was thinking about my own. Gosh, it was like it was yesterday. 1977, wasn't it? No, not really. But I remember my parents dropping me off at UW-Eau Claire. Go Blue Golds. And there I will literally, like it was yesterday, remember standing in that parking lot, waving goodbye as their car pulled away, tears streaming down my face, thinking I'm really excited about college in this new chapter, but I'm not quite sure if I'm going to know how to find my own way some kind of a oldest child um, sheltered family and I was I was a little uncertain uncertain of what was coming next and then I was thinking about when we sent our oldest our son Sam off to college and Sam um, he was a kid who really that summer like needed to go to college we were very much like yep buddy you need to go time for you to go and uh, the day before he left, I was standing at the kitchen sink, and I looked out the window, and there was a mom teaching her son, her little boy, how to ride a bike. And honestly, you guys, it, like, something socked me right in the gut. Like, I started crying. I was, all of a sudden, I was like, oh, my gosh, how did this happen? How did we get here this fast, and did we, did we prepare him well enough? Is he going to be able to find his way? What is this going to turn out to be Like, Well, the next morning, um, Steve and I and the girls, we drove Sam that long ride down to St. Olaf, down in Northfield, 35 minutes from our home. And as we stood with about a couple thousand other people, families and students, when we were in an auditorium and the dean was finishing up, he said, okay, families, time to say goodbye. Time to say goodbye to your student. So we got up and the five of us literally weeping, with our arms huddled together, crying, Sam, goodbye, goodbye, we're gonna miss you. And as we walked out the door, Steve turned around and with tears still in his eyes said, and we'll see you tomorrow when we bring the futon. (laughs) True story. But of course, our tears were not about Sam going to college. Our tears were about something that will never be again. It's moving forward into something new, something uncertain, even for us as parents, not knowing how to navigate that. But isn't that the world we live in? The world gets turned upside down sometimes with changes, and sometimes we feel a little bit lost, a little bit alone, maybe even a little bit abandoned before we're quite ready to handle it on our own. Well, our text tonight is Jesus's farewell discourse, just a small part of it, because it's a really, really long goodbye. But the context is this. Well, let me back up a little bit. We're in the book of John, chapter 14. The first verse in that chapter is, do not let your hearts be troubled. Now, here we are. Jesus has washed feet and broken bread, and he's even predicted who his betrayer is going to be. And these folk, his death is right around the corner. It is all of a sudden something he'd hinted at forever and now it's imminent. These folks gathered around the upper room with him were kind of a ragtag bunch of fishermen and tax collectors, um, carpenters, the disciples of Jesus. And now he, the one who they had left everything for, the one that they had followed, the one that they had put all their hope in He's leaving. And you think about the past few years of their life had been consumed by following Jesus. And I imagine the sense they had was, how are we going to do this on our own? Like, we will be lost without our leader. What is to become of us? feels like a very human response. Well, Jesus' farewell discourse to his disciples on the night before his death was a discourse, a conversation full of lots of anxious questions. First, we have Peter saying, Lord, where are you going? And then we have Thomas who's saying, Lord, we don't know where you're going. How are we going to find the way? And then we have Philip who says, just show us, show us the Father and and we'll get it all. And of course, Jesus going, hey, I've been here with you. If you don't get it now, there's a problem here. And then Jesus tells his disciples that though the world will no longer see him, that they will. That he will reveal himself to them. And then Judas, not Iscariot, asks this question. Lord, how is it that you will reveal yourself to us and not to the world? Here's our text. John 14, 23 replied, anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. My father will love them and we will come to them and make our home with them. Anyone who does not love me will not obey my teaching. These words you hear are not my own. They belong to the father who sent me. And all this I've spoken while still with you. But the advocate, the Holy Spirit whom the father will send in my name will teach you all the things and will remind you of everything I've said to you. Peace I leave you, my peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. Jesus' parting gift on the night before his execution, his peace, his presence, don't worry I'll be with you, my peace I leave you. I wonder if that's how the disciples actually felt. In that moment, did they feel that peace? They traveled highways and byways following this man as he healed and taught and preached. I imagine that they might have felt more scared, frightened, uncertain, abandoned, asking those questions well, how will we find the way? How will we know you? How will you be revealed to us? And although this is an extraordinary moment, if you really think about it, it's kind of an ordinary moment. The disciples are tasting one of the most human experiences possible. And living in this world, we all know, like the disciples, we face trauma and loss. And somehow we must survive, and somehow we must breathe again, even when it feels impossible. I think it's hard to get into this text without asking the question, what is it that troubles your heart? Because this text isn't saying you're not going to have troubles. Your heart isn't going to hurt and be broken. So what is it that troubles your heart? You know, this passage for me actually um, was kind of convicting because I'm going to confess to you all that I've carried a little bit of pride over the years of being someone who doesn't worry. I'm not worried. I'm good. I got this. I'm so laid back. Some of you might know this story that in our first year of marriage, um, Steve would say to me, boy, you are so laid back that sometimes I think you're almost unconscious. Now, in fairness to me, I had a... uh, a thyroid problem that hadn't been identified yet. And this is true. <laughs> so I think that contributed to how laid back I was. But the truth is, I do tend by nature to, I think it's more of a little slow to move on things, but what I realized is that over the years, I actually was taking some pride in that. Oh no, I got this. I'm not worried, I, I don't really, I'm, no. But as I was studying this text this week, you know what I realized? I am actually an anxiety denier. I'm an anxiety denier because the truth is, as I thought about it and I ask you guys the same question, what keeps you up at night? What wakes you up in the morning? Because my reality as I was going to ask you that question was there are things that keep wake me up in the morning. And those things like are a range of things. They range from worrying about my grandkids and how they're doing through COVID, how that's impacting their life. I worry about my friends that are struggling with illness and disease. I worry about this table community. Matt and I have recently, along with Christian and Maggie and Patty, Stephanie, our team, we've had a lot of conversations about the church, about the table, about what's next after COVID. And you know what? We don't have the answer, but I wake up and I worry Does this matter? Are we continuing to step into this call that we've felt that God has had for us and in being the church? And that's why this text for me, one that we've heard, one that we know, that God is present, God is with us, he leaves us his peace, is so important because I feel like if I need the reminder that we probably all do, because I need the reminder that God is still at work, that the Spirit is still at work. And I'll tell you, when we had a week ago, after a low, low turnout at church, we had a few of those a few weeks in a row. And again, it's not really about numbers, but it's more about, is this important? Does it matter to who we are as followers of Jesus, of figuring out what it means to be the church? We had a couple weeks like that where we were worried our hearts were troubled. Mine were. And then last week, we had a chance to sit down with a couple of our new board members. And James and Mark, you both said, we, it, we talked to you separately, and you both said something. I walked away, and I thought, God is still moving. Shoot, why didn't I remember that? Because what they both said is, they care so deeply about this community, and they want to see it flourish. And they both can't come with different gifts and different ideas and different vision. And I walked away, and I felt so reminded, God's still working. God's still working. But Jesus knows when he looks at our lives that our hearts are troubled. And he knows that when he looked at the disciples gathered around him, and he knew that they would face fears. They'd face a harsh world. But he still tells them, peace I leave you, my peace I give you. You know, I love the message translation of um, parts of this passage that we read tonight. I'm telling you these things while I'm still living with you. The friend, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send at my request will make everything plain to you. He'll remind you of all the things I've told you. I'm leaving you well and whole. That's my parting gift to you peace. I don't leave you the way you're used to being left, feeling abandoned, bereft. So don't be upset. Don't be distraught. Jesus tells his huddled followers that he doesn't give as the world gives. He doesn't leave them the way that they're used to being left. It's God's peace, God's presence. And those two things, they can't be separated you know, in our culture, we have a lot of individualism going on. And this idea of the inner peace and at being at peace with myself, and I find peace when I'm out at the mountains and the oceans, this is beautiful and lovely, and I'm sure part of God's plan, but this isn't the kind of peace that Jesus is talking about. He's talking about more of a shalom kind of peace, a profound and a holistic sense of well-being, you know that rightness that's not dependent on your circumstances, but it's just a sense you have of knowing that God is with you. And it's through the Holy Spirit that not only we feel that peace, but we feel God's presence, that advocate, the spirit of truth, the paraclete, the Greek word, paracletus, that means come alongside it's that, it's the spirit alongside us, the spirit within us, the spirit that disrupts us like Matt talked about last week. It's a spirit that moves us and moves us beyond ourselves and our circumstances. God's presence, God's peace. But there's something else that came out of this text for me and it's about courage. Because later, I talked about this being a long conversation. I mean, it's chapters long this last with a farewell discourse. But later, we get another glimpse of peace, and it's in John 16:33. "I've told you these things so that you may have peace, and in this world you'll have trouble. But take heart. I have overcome the world. So in the face of trouble, Jesus assures his disciples that they'll have peace. And he says, take heart, and I love that. Because the verb used there is "Thereso." And it's a beautiful and poetic translation. But the Greek would actually be more accurately read as have courage. In the face of everything going on in the world and in your lives, have Courage. And here's the beautiful thing about all of this Jesus doesn't give us peace so that we can find shelter from the world. He offers that peace so that we might be able to enter more deeply into the world, that we might have the courage to live fully and boldly and love our neighbors as ourselves. We have all, at some time, witnessed the Spirit moving. We've we've experienced a peace that transcends our circumstances. We've seen a supernatural courage in other people. And I'm sure many of you have your own stories. You've experienced all those things. And I think about, in a few days, it'll be the second anniversary of George Floyd. And I think about the courageous bystanders who spoke up, took video, stood strong. The courage in those that stood up and spoke out, that were at the protests, despite the tear tear gas and the rubber bullets. The Black Lives Matter protesters who dared to assert that they are too created in the image of God. The courage of a community to come together To open our eyes, to be an ally, to clean up a city, to jump in on pop-up food shelves and diaper and formula drives, despite the uncertainty and the intensity of COVID at the time. Think about the Afghan refugees and the courage it took to flee a country with nothing but what they had on their back and to enter a country where they don't speak the language and they don't know anybody and the courage for those that stepped into that and helped them. I think about Ukraine and a leader who could have gotten out, who could have evacuated, who was the number one target, but decided to stay to stay and be in it with his people, and for those people who have stayed and fought, and for the people of Ukraine who have actually had the courage to leave or to stay and take care of loved ones while they send their kids hundreds of miles away so that they could be safe. I think about in our own country those politicians who've actually had the kind of Holy Spirit courage you'd need to actually stand up and speak truth at a huge cost to themselves. I can look at this country and our community and people in this community who have had the courage to, to persevere through COVID. Whether it's in their own families or those that have been in the hospitals and taken care of people. The courage to actually do that. And I was thinking about all of you as I was writing this. I was thinking about all the, the people in this community who have had the courage to do things The courage to work for ALS funding in the midst of your own grief and loss. The courage to live life fully during debilitating disease. The courage to come out when you're surrounded by a culture, and most often a church culture, that tells you that somehow the way you're created is not okay. The courage to challenge a system and to stand up for those in the margin. The courage to donate an organ to a stranger. The courage, the courage to take on trials and trial drugs when your own cancer is too far progressed, but you do it because it might help the next people. The courage to adopt someone into your family who's experienced trauma, and hardship, the courage to name your addiction and seek sobriety, the courage to share your stories, the good, the bad, the painful, because you know it might help someone else to not feel so alone, and the courage to walk alongside people in their suffering. All those things, friends, are the work of the Spirit. And when everything around us feels like it's crumbling, Here's the beauty of this passage. Jesus has equipped us to keep the faith. Because here's the thing. We, too, are those disciples gathered in the upper room. We, too, are the disciples that live in a difficult world, holding pain and loss and sadness. And yet, we, too, we are the disciples at the empty tomb. We hold hope in that Jesus, the resurrected Jesus, We have the Holy Spirit in us and with us. We have the Spirit that's always at our back. And it is the very presence of God. Breathing in peace. Breathing in courage. I love that breath prayer. And I encourage you guys. I started doing it today. To take a minute or two every day and this breath prayer is this you breathe in courage and you breathe out love breathe in courage and breathe out love peace i leave you my peace i give you i don't give as the world gives do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid let me pray holy and gracious God. You didn't say, Lord, that there wouldn't be trouble or our hearts wouldn't ache or there wouldn't be hardships ahead. But instead, Lord, on the night before you died, you gave the disciples, you gave this world a gift, you gave us your presence through the Spirit and you gave us your peace. You've equipped us, Lord, to move through any and all circumstances and keep the faith and hold the hope and to know, Lord, that you have us. We thank you for being a God who loves us and cares for us. We pray it in the name of Jesus. Amen.
1: Amen. You know, I was thinking as Debbie was speaking of different um, Manifestations of courage that we've seen amidst us and amidst the global community. This is the point where you can take out the bread and the wine if you, if you have it with you. Um, all of these different acts, whether you're talking about President Zelensky in Ukraine or Lenny with ALS, none of this is done through the practice of denial. All of it is naming that we want peace because there is a problem. There is something that we are up against right now that overwhelms. There are questions that we don't have answers for. There are outcomes that we don't know what it will look like. We don't know how this will go. All of these choices for courage are happening in the face of insurmountable odds. The same is true for Jesus in this moment. One of the things Debbie and I were talking about before is it's very easy for Christians in the church at large to come into this moment of the Last Supper scene And make it seem like Jesus was floating above the concerns of humanity. He was fully human, fully God. Which means that when he was at that table, there were tears in his eyes. There was a lump in his throat. There were friends around the table who didn't know this is some one-two step. He himself probably had some questions on what the one-two step would look like. He didn't practice denial though. He sensed the political tensions rising around him. He could feel the own target on his back, and he reached for the bread that was sitting at the center of the table, and he lifted it up, and he said, this is my body, and it's broken for you. The path that I have committed to, the, the walk that I have walked, the way that I've chosen to walk, it wasn't just a fad, it wasn't just a phase, I'm committed to the very end, come what may, cause I have courage. This is my body, broken for you. Whenever you eat of this, remember me. Remember the path. In the same way, he reached for the bottle of wine that was sitting at the center of the table, and he lifted it up, and he said, This is my blood shed for the forgiveness of the sins. The blood of the new covenant. The blood that insists that what is is not what will always be that the hardships of today at some point will crumble into the promises of tomorrow. We cling to that as true. We don't know if it's fact. We don't know all that it is. We cling to that as true. We white-knuckle that faith that insists that even in life's worst moments, the best is yet to come. That's what it means to be a community of faith. And so we take the bread and we take the wine and we remember that this is the body of Christ broken for you and that this is the blood of Christ shed for you. Will you join me now in standing and saying the prayer that Jesus himself taught us to pray. Our God who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come